Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 177 for Monday, August 13th, 2018. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Gig Gab, the podcast by, for, and about working musicians here on Monday in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Out in Los Gatos, California, it's Paul Kent. How you doing today, Mr. Kent? I'm not doing so well, Dave. Uh-oh. What happened, man? Dude, we had a gig last night. Yep. Let me just say first, I don't know what hurts more, my body or my pride, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sorry a, to laugh, but that's, that's funny. Yeah. Four o'clock to six o'clock gig at a festival yesterday, and I have a few things to share about the festival, but... Uh, I jumped down in the audience to take a guitar solo with the crowd and it was going pretty well. And then uh, upon trying to jump back up onto the stage, all of about 18 inches, my denim jeans were not cooperating, caught, you know, didn't let me stretch my legs enough. And I face planted when oh. face first, almost took out Nick's keyboards and uh, uh, landed hard on my shoulder and really Ooh. tweaked my shoulder. And so, you know, I, I've been icing it since I don't think, I, I tore a rotator cuff or anything like that because I can kind of lift my arm. It hurts. It hurts pretty bad. But man, my pride. So I kind of turned around, tried to joke it off with those who saw me. Yeah. Made some comment from the stage like, we're never playing here again if you put this on YouTube. And, you know, so, <laughs> <laughs> and but uh, like I said, my pride, the band was rolling, laughing. The, I mean, I will never live this down with my band. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, they're like when it happened, like a bunch of people from the audience came and helped me up and, you know, we're really cool about it. And, sure. you know, they laughed it off and, and I played the rest of the gig. This was only about six songs into about a 25 song set. So, um, you know, I played the rest of the gig noticing, you know, adrenaline's going. So you're not yeah. really sure what's going on with your body, but, but then very soon after the gig stopped, it started hurting really bad. And, oh, and so, you know, I've been icing it and, you know, How we're you doing, doing this, this first morning? thing. Yeah. Um, it, it's not as bad as I would, thought it would be for Good. the next day. And so I think I, I might not have done hurt it as bad as I have. It still hurts and it still hurts to raise my arm. Ooh. But uh, yeah, but uh, so and there's I have, definitely, have, definitely some swelling happening there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I've been icing it, you know, pretty much since my buddy Scott gave me this um, kind of new age gel ice that you put in stuff. You freeze it and you keep rotating out, you know, canisters of this gel ice stuff that gets yeah. really cold and it's helping. I mean, like I said, I really thought it was going to be bad this morning. And but. I have um, six six in a row starting Wednesday, so I really need to get healed up and figure out what I can do. So a leave, it's not it's not a muscle stuff, so it's not a muscle relaxant type of thing. Yeah, right. No, you just so, need a yeah, you need a, a the anti-inflammatory anti is what it is. I, I mean, at some level, like for which for, doesn't help the ego. No, I'm but, not sure what to take for that. <laughs> yeah, I think you just keep playing other gigs. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, like that's the beauty to me of live art, right? Like, like we do here is the the you're you're generally you know only judged by the previous <laughs> moment, right? And so you have we have the opportunity 
to create the next moment ourselves. Right. And, and I appreciate that. Yes, I love true. that. Like, I mean, it's great. You know, you make a mistake and it's like, okay, you can get down on your side. I mean, th- this is, you know, a different type of mistake than, than we would <laughs> mostly make, but it's the same kind of thing, right? You know, you're, you, you make a mistake or you do something fantastic. Right. And it's like, okay, that's cool. But it's also now in the past. So got to create the moment again, you know? Yep. Yeah. And I was kind of fortunate. My wife was at the gig and she was just on the other side of the stage and she didn't know that it happened. I was like, did you see? She goes, no, what are you talking about? Okay. So it was just really that small group of people right there where I was trying to hop on the stage. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, small is probably, you know, fifty hundred people, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. oh, uh, right. yeah. Festival crowds are, yeah. They, yeah. There's, a, there's a, there's a lot of people, but there's also a lot of distraction. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, yeah. There's a hive mentality too. So, yeah. so yeah. So that was uh that was the thing. And you're right. You know, we went on, we played a very good show and, uh, you know, it ended, you know, really strong. And, and that's probably what people are left with, if not a distant memory of that funny moment that happened. But yeah, uh, I, I mean, as you're describing this, I'm thinking, oh, my God, that's terrible. It, it, you know, and the, the thought is, I hope that never happens. And then, of course, you realize, wait, wait, I've seen this happen a million times. You know, mm. even it, even it, it you know, big production shows. Right. I mean, people slip, people fall. There's things that happen when we were doing Tommy, um, you know, there were holes in the stage. There were four holes. I think I described that they sort of built like a, they built the floor of the stage up so that it could be like a pinball machine and a whole whack-a-mole thing. I mean, it was crazy what they did, but there's holes on the stage. So we would joke about, you know, it's been, you know, zero days since someone fell in a hole kind of thing. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it's not really a joke. I mean, it was true, you know? So yeah, these things happen. It it, it stages, you know, stages are not OSHA certified usually, right? You know, staircases on stages. And I know you weren't dealing with a staircase and, you know, you were stepping up 18 inches, which is more than any staircase would ever be. But even staircases on stage are, you know, often built with short steps and weird, different, uh, you know, different heights between the steps and things like that. Cause it's just like, well, we need to have a way for people to move up and down over there. And we have this limited amount of space to do it. And it's just how it is. So you really, you really do need to have your wits about you um, when you're moving around on a stage. And that's why Definitely. a lot of times you'll see stages put, you know, spot their pin lights or some sort of lights along the edges so that even in the dark performers are aware. But um, as a, as non-performers or even a non-performer for that particular venue, you know, if somebody invites me on stage, like when you guys, you know, between sets, the last gig I saw you at, you know, you, you invited me up on stage to, to come and say hello and meet Russ and, and all that stuff, which was great. But it it was like as soon as I stepped up there, it was like, oh, you're right. High alert mode. You don't know what yep. the floor's like. You, you know, it's yep. just it's it's how it is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So if there's any upside to this, you know, the shared crisis, you know, brings people together. So, so when my sax player went, one of my sax players goes down to the audience, he comes back up using the staircase, kind of, you know, gives me a look yeah. and the whole band you know, cracks up. And then the oldest guy in the band goes down to the audience, same path I took and hopped right back up on stage. <laughs> Everybody kind of lost their mind. And so, yeah, I'll be dealing with, uh, with the humble pie for a little bit, but uh, it's all good. That's so all long, good. as long as I didn't hurt myself, it's all good. That, I was just going to say, as long as, yeah, you, if, if you're, ego and your pride are your only things that are bruised then you're in good shape that's that's fine a little, a little humility goes a long way you know it's a it's a good thing it's true yeah i will tell you this you know just a, th- a few thoughts remember how i've told you that 
we don't do very many festival gigs because it's just so yeah. stressful to get the band on stage and mic'd and sound checked in the 25, 30 minutes that they give us. Well, let's add to that. So we had that and, you know, we have a bill and Bill does as much advanced work and directs the getting the other band off and getting us on stage. And so we have a little bit of an ace in a hole, but it's still the numbers are against us. It's 10 guys, totally a lot of wireless stuff, but we had um, a really tough situation with this one in that the, so Bill was managing stage sound for us on this. You know, he wanted to make sure we could hear the front of house sound guys really didn't do a great job. I mean, you know, there were, the vocals weren't mixed equally. Um, my, my, the tenor player who takes a lot of solos, there were times where he was just absolutely absent from the mix in his solos. And it was, from that, it was from miserable. the house mix. You mean, and th- this is not, doesn't make any sense to me because, because it's not like he's in a line of five and you can't tell what's happening. He walks up to the front of the stage to take his solos. And, um, if your eyes are open, you see that something's going on and you're not hearing what you're seeing. I don't really understand, but I was extremely unhappy with the attention to detail from the front of house team. And it led to a conversation. So a, my poor sax player was really frustrated because, you know, he's a great player and, you know, he loves to entertain and to go out there and blow your brains out and not have anybody, but hear it is really, you know, disheartening. Yeah. So, so he's unhappy and uh, it leads to the point where is our band at a place where we can insist on having our guy do front of house sound. And I, I don't know what we would do in this situation because having some semblance of decent stage sound was a, was a full-time job. I only have one bill, not two bills, but um, you know, ultimately the presentation to the audience, I don't, I don't know. How would you wait? If you had one guy who was your sound guy in this type of situation, what would you do? I'd put him in front of house. 100% 100% always of the front house. Yeah. Got it. Let, and, and, let and the I, musicians on stage figure it out and, you know, yeah. self balance. Well, and the thing is, I know you can't mix your own ears on stage. And I, and actually, I think that you probably could sort out a world where you might be able to, at least at some point, but someone on stage could be point, could run point for, for mixing, you know, the, the monitors on stage, right. You, you could have one of the band members, you maybe Nick, cause he's sitting there and he's got, you know, a little bit more of a station or Steve with the station or really even one of your horn players who, you know, cause they're mm. not playing all the time. You might be able to just turn back and say, Hey, you, you know, I need more vocal in my monitor. And eventually somebody can pull out the tablet and do that for you. But as far as front of house sound, uh, you know, it's it's really hard um, because, you know, when you're doing and I've been in on both sides of this equation, uh, you know, I've done enough front of house sound where there's a lot to pay attention to. Not only are you looking at individual, you know, people on stage and who do I need to bring up at this moment and all of that. But you're also kind of thinking about, all right, what's what's the overall sound like? Is there an EQ change? And you might take a moment and say, all right, look, I haven't been really happy with the way the keys sound. You know, there might be too much low end coming from them. So while the band sounds, you know, you can kind of leave the band on on autopilot or just fixed mix, you know, for a moment while I pull up the EQ and fix that, that keyboard, right. Or whatever yeah. it is. Cause there's a lot going on, especially when you're doing band after band after band. And, uh, 
And so you, you, you know, you, you kind of get into that for a second. You're hearing that things are fine. There's no feedback. Vocals are coming through, to, you know, to some degree. And so you get into your head and you, you fix the EQ on the keys. And by the time you fix that, you look up even, and, and this is assuming that the person is conscientious and, and would have caught this anyway, but you know, you get out of your head, you look up and oh crap, there's a sax player halfway through a solo, right? You know, that kind of thing. So it's really hard to expect someone that doesn't know your band to be able to intuit what's going to happen in any given song. And so I always, you know, when I'm dealing with a, with a, a new front of house person or an on-site front of house person, I generally will tell them, Hey, look, okay. Um, we'll take care of mixing our own vocals. You just give us, you know, put everybody equal. We will balance it uh, on stage. You know, harmonies will sing off the mic and leads will, will, will get right up on the mic and we, we can balance that. We're used to doing that. Right. And, and I, I can say that because I know it's true, right. We're used to doing it. If your band isn't, then that, then that creates, you know, a little more work for the front of house engineer. And, uh, and I'll, and I'll say things like, Hey, look, you know, when, when Mike takes a solo, sometimes his boost isn't going to be loud enough. So just watch for that. And, 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 and just being sort of respectful and, and giving them a heads up about, you know, sort of the idiosyncrasies, if you will, of your band might bring them into that fold a little bit more. Uh, well, I so. agree with you. Let me just push back on that a little bit. Here's what I'm thinking. That's the gig. I mean, you're hired to do sound mm -hmm. for a festival, right? You know, there's going to be three, four bands a day rotating through your job is to mix and most bands don't have a bill. Right. And so, you know, so kind of your job is, so I went the previous day to this festival and was watching and, um, a, a friend of mine's band was playing and all I heard was background vocals. And I'm like, that's weird. And then I noticed that it, it was the one song that the drummer sang lead on. It took me about six seconds to realize what was going on. And I was l literally trying to get to know the sound guy. I was sitting back at the sound desk. I said, I think the drummer's singing. And he just kind of snapped up. And I, and I actually think yeah. within this realm, there's good and there's uh, good, mediocre, totally. average and bad in terms of sound. And, you know, if you take this gig as a sound person, thinking that most semi-professional to amateur bands are not going to have the luxury of being able to prepare you, you know, that well, or, and nor are you going to read, you know, a 20 set, a 20 song set, you're going to write, you know, how many solos there are, you know, watch for this, watch for that. The stuff that, that an endemic sound person would, would, you know, kind of embeddedly know, mm -hmm. you're not going to have that. And no, so you know, what is that. the gig right. at the very least push a solo, right? Yep. I, I mean, I think that's a pretty, at the very least make sure the lead vocals are where they need to be and push solo. And, yep. and after that, your job is pretty easy. But the thing I find with, with, semi-professional to amateur sound people as that they don't pay attention. You know, they just don't focus. They, they set and, and forget, right. They just, and I, you know, I always it. go in assuming that they aren't going to focus. And so that's why I'll, I'll pick my, you know, I try to make it a top three list, right. Of here are the things that, like you just said, most important. And one of those things can be, Hey man, um, we don't just have one lead singer, you know, like I, I sing 50% of the tunes, Nick sings 30% and our drummer sings two of them. So just be aware that that's going to change, you know, like, and, and there's a way to deliver that where you're, I mean, you're telling this guy something he couldn't possibly guess, right? It, like going up and saying, make sure the lead vocal is loud enough. 
that, you know, say that the wrong way and somebody thinks you're a dick. But yep. uh, but but saying, hey, we have multiple lead vocalists. Just want to give you a heads up. I know that's different. And so here you go. Here are the three that that, that are going to sing. And, you know, that kind of thing. And, and like I said, I'll tell them, you know, watch Mike's solos because sometimes his boost isn't loud enough. That's sort of putting it on us like, hey, here's a thing about our band that you couldn't possibly know. So I'm telling you, as opposed to saying, make sure the solos are loud enough. You know what I mean? But I totally agree with you when there are people that aren't going to pay attention and aren't good at their job. And there are people that are going to pay attention and are good at their job. And if you get one of the former, it's just how it is. And it sucks. But, you know, I often find if like if if Bill had gone up to this guy and and had Bill started giving him these, Hey man, I just want to give you some heads up. You know, I usually mix, I, I I'm their, their default front of house guy, knowing that you're the front of house guy today. I just want to give you a couple of uh, pointers. Most of the time guys will say, wait, you're their normal front of house guy. Yeah. Do you want to mix them? Uh, you know, and, and if you're, yeah. uh, and I've done that several times for bands. Bill does like, get that courtesy mostly yeah, and Bill's really exactly. good at kind of ingratiating himself and, you know, making friends and that type of thing that happens. Usually again, this one, because we're uh, it, again, the short turnover time and trying to get the people comfortable on stage was Bill's yeah. you know priority. Maybe it shouldn't have been, you know, live and learn that one, but here's this, here's a side negative effect. Um, uh, sound on stage got out of control. So it's a, it was a small tented stage. Instead of being able to have our five horns in a line, we had to go two in front and three behind them. So they have that. And that's right behind Simon. So Simon's getting the business end of a trombone and two trumpets, you know, on a constant basis for the whole show. So he has to have earplugs in, you know, drums are just, they're just acoustically loud. You know, we've, 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 we've approached this conversation in different ways that, that, that often, very often, stage sound is dictated by the drums. Totally. Getting over the drums to some degree is it. I don't know anymore. You know, after doing this for so long, you can't play the type of music with the type of energy we have and and not hit your drums. I mean, you just can't. I mean, and so that's going to create some ceiling or excuse me, floor, some floor. of sound volume. There, right? there are ways around this, right? I mean, you, you, there is some level of floor that, that is, you know, unavoidable, right? But the way you tune drums, the types of heads you put on them, the way you set them up, and, you know, I I guess I had learned this lesson, whatever, 15 years ago, and then relearned it when I was sharing a drum set for Tommy. Um, We just noticed the drums were so loud. And I I realized, uh, we were using George's drums, uh, the the other drummer, and... uh, and I was uncomfortable playing his toms. It, it, it just, you know, there's a lot in, in, in the, the who's Tommy. There's a lot of these like roundhouse six tuplet fills or whatever. And so it was like, I need my toms where I expect them. And I have my drums set up. My toms generally set up to the left of the kick drum or George's were right over the kick drum. And in fact, mounted, uh, you know, on the kick drum, which is, you know, sort of the non rack way of setting things up. And so I took his toms off and I brought my own toms in and we'd just swap them out. We'd just swap back and forth. And what we found was as soon as I took George's toms off of that kick drum, you know, mine were just on a stand next to it. We realized every time that bass drum was hit, every drum was ringing like crazy because there's these two drums literally hanging off the the kick drum. 
And it cleaned up the sound so much. And then the difference he was using, you know, single ply heads on sort of boomy drums. Whereas I had these birch drums with, um, uh, with pinstripe heads, Remo pinstripe heads on them. And, you know, a far more focused sound, a far more, um, uh, you know, it was a lot more attack and tone without a lot of ring and boom. And it totally cleaned things up and tightened things up. And it really made a difference. And I had just switched to those heads for the pit for Greece, which I had done prior, uh, because I I wanted something a little more focused. And, you know, it was a boomy room. It was like, oh, yeah, you got to tighten this up a little bit. And and so there are things you can do. And and in fact, I wound up using those same drums with those same heads for a fling gig this weekend. And it was remarkable because it was way I don't want to say that it was quieter because I think any given hit was probably, you know, just as loud as it would normally be, but not having those sympathetic vibrations kind constantly just sort of ringing around really helped tighten up the sound and clean things up in a, in a good way. So what about cymbals, uh, it, it depends. So cymbals. Yeah. I use, I, I mean, it dep- again, depending on the room, I use lighter cymbals, uh, thinner cymbals, and also, uh, not just, different weight sticks, but different tips on the sticks, a, a tighter bead on the stick will create a more defined, but less washy cymbal sound, right? Which in a smaller room is something you might want. Uh, a, a fatter bead will create that, you know, kind of washier thing that goes on. And sometimes that's, that's what you want to fill things in. But, but you, you know, there, there really are some things you can do to, to manage that. But, but still to your point, there, there is a floor below which hitting a drum or a cymbal with a stick is, is going to create, you know, a a certain decibel, a certain, yeah, a certain amount of noise. That's, that's just how it works. You know, and again, you can, there, there's these things that you can do and lots of other things you can do too, to manage it. But thinking about tuning, thinking about head selection, thinking about stick selection, thinking about cymbal selection, and even thinking about drum selection. Like there's my Mapex kit. I wouldn't use in a scenario like that because it it's their maple They're Well, they're maple and, and, um, Oh, I always forget what the other, but it, it, there's two, but maple is the dominant wood and that's a much more bombastic wood than like a focused birch. And so it's like, okay, you know, if you've got a, a room where that matters, pick the drums that match the room and it's just how it goes. You know, you yeah, got to so think you're, about that. You're giving some, yeah. You're giving good nuanced detail. Again, this is like a small tinted stage mm-hmm. that is like a one, you know, mostly a one-off in our, in the places that we're performing. And so I think, just think actually, I think, I think the rhythm has to really focus. If it, I, We have enough monitors and the monitors are not necessarily that loud yep. that, that the rhythm section should be able to get down under. And if the drums are the only thing that's kind of, you know, sticking, sticking out, you know, it, that's probably a manageable thing for most people. It's not pleasant, right. but you know, the rhythm section deal. still has to play ball. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, that was my crazy gig yesterday. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm starting uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, you know, it's starting coming up. So we've got an interesting run coming. My shoulder heals. I'll be good for it. Uh, some beautiful places that we're playing. So I'll have a lot of stuff to talk about next time we cool. get together. So I mentioned I played uh, I played a fling gig Saturday night. We played um, at that boardwalk right down in Hampton Beach, which is, you know, I've, I've explained these gigs before. We're we're there to play for the club, but 
then the show next door, which happened to be Incubus, a sold out show at the what they call the Hampton Casino Ballroom, uh, is right next door. And the point is to make sure we're playing when that show lets out so that we can draw people into the club. And uh, and so it was nice. And it was the first we've played. You know, we've been playing pretty regularly as Fling, but um, most of the gigs that we've done lately have been one set nights. The 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 one that uh, the most recent one uh, was that outdoor gig that was supposed to be a two set night, but got rained out at set break. So it it too was a one set night. And even the gigs that we've sort of put on ourselves, we've brought in other bands. So we've sort of been in this you know scenario where. It kind of like your festival thing, although we've been in control of the sound um, where, you know, we're really only getting one set to to play. So this was the first time in a long time where we had, you know, kind of a full night where we could we could set up and chill out. And and it was really kind of a nice thing for us. We had a, a good crowd when we started and then we were able to bring people in. It was really interesting. Russ. Uh, you know, we were, we started playing our, what would have been our, or what was our second set. And uh, it was about maybe five, 10 minutes before the the thing let out. And we knew this, you know, the club, the ballroom will let the club know, you know, here's what time our show's going to let out and, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, and so we knew this and sure enough, Russ, you know, saw the people starting to come and we were finishing whatever song we were finishing. And I looked at the set list and it was like, yeah, whatever's next is not going to draw people in. And I'm trying to rack my brain looking at things as we're ending this song, like, all right, what's next? What what's going to be the one? And uh, and 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 Russ starts playing Pinball Wizard and it was like, oh, perfect. OK, great. That's <laughs> that that'll bring people in. It's right. So it's sure enough, it brought people in and they were a great crowd. But, you know, it it the it was one of those nights where the energy really flowed back and forth really well. And and as you well know, that doesn't just magically happen you you make that happen from the stage i mean a responsive crowd is a wonderful thing but you can create that or you can kill that um with any crowd and and we really did a nice job kind of you know engaging people um it, you know and engaging them to the point where they were supporting they, they thought they were making decisions for us even though you know it was what we were going to play anyway kind of thing and and really just kind of getting them involved and and that kind of thing. But they were, they were very, uh, you know, they had just come from a rock show and they were equally interested in getting up and dancing when, you know, and moving around when that happened to, you know, having a seat and having a drink and really paying very close attention when, when they were just sitting there kind of, you know, playing. So we were able to, and, and recognizing that through the gig, I was able to, you know, kind of flow the set list so that it, 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 That's it, cool. It dealt with it, you know, it dealt a couple of songs that would keep them up. And it was like, all right, now let's let's shift gears a little bit and let's, you know, rock out a little. But one moment stuck out and stuck out, stood out, <laughs> stuck out um, for me. We, you know, I, I mentioned we just added uh, a few songs to the set list. And one of them was Blue Oyster Cult's Burning For You, which has always been a favorite song of mine. I, I, it's it's like very, very well written. It's a cool song. Well crafted pop song. It's sort of weird, you know, all the different sections and, um, and the harmonies are interesting. The lyrics are brilliant. It's, it's just a great tune. And uh but, you know, it's one of those songs that everybody knows, but nobody plays. And we had this moment where, you know, I counted the tune in. And as soon as we hit that first note, uh, you know, that there's that first hit. And then and then Mike takes the, the band, you know, on the guitar. There was this roar from the crowd, like this roar of recognition and appreciation. It was like, 
really? You get you folks like this song that much, you know, like, hey, cool. Like, we're all in the same boat. We're excited to play it. Really cool that you're excited to hear it. <laughs> you know, mm. um, it was a, it was just a nice moment. Like, I just didn't That's expect cool. it. Yeah, it was it was sort of a gamble to throw that song in for the, you know, the party set, if you will. I mean, it was absolutely you know, only the second time we had played it, although we've you know, we've rehearsed it enough that I was confident that we would we would play it well. And we did. Um but, you know, it's a weird thing to to slot that in a, saw, a set where you really need to be engaging people. And it was like, oh, cool. Don't have to worry about it. Like, as soon as that roar happened, it was on note one. It's like, great. We can just play this and relax. We don't have to worry about it. They're already engaged. So yeah. it, it was really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've had... I think about this a lot because I'm trying to always think about what are good venues for us to play. And especially in the wintertime when it's just clubs and I would like us to be able to play small theaters. And, um, but that's, uh, has a, it's, it's fraught with a few different risks and it's come to the place where dancing becomes a scorecard. Did you get them up to dance? How quick did you get them up to dance? How long did you keep them up dancing? And that becomes a scorecard for success for a band that largely, you know, makes its living getting entertaining people by getting them to dance. Yes. But you know, I kind of want more than that. I kind of want something different and I want different venues and I want us to be good entertainers in all, in all ways. And I actually think we have kind of, you know, a compelling show now, you know, that we're the orange are into it and, and, you know, guys come up front for solos and the guys are animated in their singing. And, you know, I, I actually think we're fun to just enjoy, but we, I don't get a chance to test this theory very much. Cause again, the, the, right. the score, the scorecard is always dancing, which is, I think that's very limiting. And so we, we've um, given up on that scorecard and we've never really we, had, we, and that we've had this conversation, yeah. right? You play, you say, we're going to play well, you're play, we're going to play good music and we're going to play it well. And hopefully you're going to enjoy it. And, you know, we have some dance sections. I totally get your model and it's, I envy your model because you have, you have different freedoms and different, totally. Uh, yeah. You know, right where we don't. But but interestingly enough, we played a gig last week, last Thursday, beautiful winery uh, about a half hour, 45 minutes away from here. And I, I know this gig, the first set in previous years, we used to start at six. So people are still just kind of arriving, having a picnic dinner. This year we started at seven, but still it was very hot. The sun's still up pretty high. Um, and, uh, um, you know, it, it, it's it's not they're not dancing from the downbeat at this one. So. Right. It was fun to me to put in a couple of songs. So, you know, Peg, Steely Dance Peg is kind of one of those songs, although people will dance to that because they know it so well. But I pulled back. I think I told you we played Loving Cup, the fish version of Loving Cup, you know, for a wedding for a fish fan a couple of weeks yeah. ago. And it's not something that would typically fit in a dance set that we're doing. Um, yeah, there are there are fish fans listening that will argue that point with you. But but you're not wrong. It, it but my message is to non-fish fans, of right. which there are many more. Right. Right. No, exactly. Yeah, you're you're right. It just they're also right in the in the right, right venue. People are up and dancing for that song. No, I, I totally get it. Yep. And so, but it is a rock out song. It's not a dance song is, is really what that is. It's just, and it's got a kind of a, a, a mid tempo group yep. groove and vibe. Right. So anyway, we were playing it and I was actually really keenly aware that people were nodding their heads and, you know, and they were grooving to it sitting on the grass. They were grooving to it. It was doing that type of thing where people were listening. They were totally getting what we we're putting out. And it was a just a sound and a vibe that was soothing for the moment, you know, that was the right thing for the moment. And it worked real well. And again, it's very. There's a lot of reasons why I, can, I don't feel I can turn the ship in my band. No, you can't. I, I right? agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard thing to do because but you've got to carry. 
Yeah, you've got to carry this band that's expecting to gig, you know, whatever, five nights a week in the summer. And, uh, it, you know, like it, you the dance thing is uh, don't take this the wrong way, but it's the it's the low hanging fruit. Right. You can if you can find those gigs and deliver on them. And that is not a, a guarantee. I mean, for your band, it is because you've honed your craft. <laughs> but if you can find those gigs and deliver on them, then they are easy gigs to get to continue to get right. And I, again, I don't mean to take the, you know, the wind out of your sails. You do a lot of work to get those gigs, but you have the product to do it and, and taking that product and trying to, you know, sell it in different ways may cause you to wind up getting less, you know, being marketable for less gigs. And, and but that's kind of my point about this is, yeah. is would I rather sell mm. 200 seats in a small theater and play those things than a hundred seats in a small club. Right. Yep. And, you know, have the only metric to you know, being able to do that in a club is whether people dance and buy booze. And so the question is, is, is do you, do you, is it a growth path? There's a great, great, great band in this area called Petty Theft. They're a petty tribute band and they pretty much play the theater circuit. Like they had played the club circuit, you know, the, the small to medium sized club and now slightly larger clubs and they get touring gigs. You know, they play theaters up and down the West coast and they do a real good job. You know, I mean, they're really a solid band, very entertaining, very popular. I mean, they've got a great fan base. They sell tickets. And I, you know, I wonder about this is, is it, you know, to me, it feels like that might be, that might be a more uh, creatively meaningful metric. You know, can I get people sitting in a chair a great experience where they walk out and go, oh, that was great. You know, right now. It's freaking you're, awesome you're right. when you, when you well, can do it. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> but low-hanging fruit is right. You know, I can tell if people are having a good time how many people are down the dance floor. The metric is so easy. So right there. The ability to entertain people who are in, you know, in a chair can you get them out of their chair? That doesn't mean rushing to the dance floor because that's what you're supposed to do in a dance club. Can you get them out of their chair clapping along and singing along and enjoying that? That is a level of entertainment that I personally would aspire to. It's why I have done these Springsteen shows. It's why I've done right. these other things. It is, it is my attempt to create that type of self-fulfilling entertainment cycle, circle. Yeah. And um, I, I think the House Rockers actually could be good at it. But I do also know that it, it, in- it takes the whole band being on like, I mean, you, you can't just you would need to explicitly have this conversation with, with your band. Right. Whoever you are yeah. out there, it, it's because it, it's easy. It, it even I don't just mean for the people, you know, that are employing you or contracting with you or whatever. It's easy for you to lose sight of the fact that. There is another metric that that can mean success other than people just getting up and dancing. And I, I mean, I fall victim to this, too, even though I know that like I experienced the other night we had it was a perfect experience. It was the right blend. But thinking back on it, it's like, you know, I could have called that original tune that we play and those people would have freaking loved it. But. I took the safe path and, you know, called Mustang Sally or something like that in, in the <laughs> moment. Right. You, you know, but 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 in thinking back, it's like I, and and it was a by all accounts, it was a perfect gig. I mean, it really was. We played well. We sang well. We picked tunes that worked at the time. I don't want to say we picked the right tunes because I'm actually sitting here saying there were other right tunes we could have also picked. You know, we have a lot of depth on our set list. We were playing well. We went off the, the, the it was funny because we talked about it before the gig and we're like, look, just stick to the list. And we all agreed to this, even me. 
just stick to the list. We didn't get three songs into the night and our keyboard player is like, oh, let's play me and Julio. It's like, yeah, okay, cool. Fine. We're all on board. Fine. And then, and then it just, from there, it was just, we flowed with whatever happened. And, but I could have done better. Like that, that was the thought in my head, you know, the next morning was like, yeah, yeah, we should have played Zulu one. Yeah. Okay. I got to think about that. You know, I got to, I got to be mindful of, of that kind of thing. Don't just go with the low hanging fruit. You, you know, you, you had those people in the palm of your hand. You, you could have taken a few more risks, you know, that kind of thing. But you can also overplay that card, right? Where, you know, you go too crazy and it's like, yeah, sure, right. Then you lose them and that then you're, you know, if you have them and then lose them, getting them back is harder than if you didn't have them yet. And, and now totally. are trying to win them over for the first time. So, it you know, it's a it's a balance thing. Um, so I'm yeah. kind of hearing what you're saying. I'm kind of thinking about the the. The main theme that you and I touch on when we when we do this show, you know, for three years now, is the do you know who you are? Yeah. And do you know who you want to be? And, you know, you can want to be something different than what you are. You just have to be very realistic about knowing who you are. And if you want to be something else, so if I want to be a theater band, you need a plan and you need you need to think out the reality of where you are and who you are and how you want to get to something else. And that's you know, that's growth in any aspect of life, but I think it's really interesting. And you saying, you know, about what your experience was, you know who you are. You, like you said, you've given up the, the, the dance is the only metric, you know, a while ago, um, you're going to play this and you're going to, you're going to measure your success. Did we play well? Were people paying attention and nodding their head? It's not just about feet on the dance floor type of thing. Right. Do people go out of their way because they want a night of listening to good music that that's an important thing too. I, I like I said, I it's a harder thing. I oh, don't know too many venues around here that are hiring bands that as cover bands that would that would uh, give the freedom to do that. You know, well, usually not only, not only is it a harder thing to find the rooms, it's a harder thing in the moment. I, I mean, you know, it's really easy from the stage to just say, "Are people dancing? Yes or no? Success or fail?" Right? That's it. But reading the crowd. When you're looking for those more nuanced things, I, I mean, it's exhausting. It's yeah. fulfilling. Don't get me wrong. It's freaking amazing when it works, but it takes a lot of attention in addition to being on stage, playing your instrument, singing your parts, performing, you know, all of that stuff that's sort of the given. You got to deliver that and then reading all those signs. But I mean, those signs can sometimes be obvious. Like we had a guy that was just totally into it. And uh, like somebody would would, you know, Mike, Mike played like one little chord before we started American Girl. And the guy was I mean, it, and he did this constantly throughout the night. He was trying to guess what the next song was and he knew it. You know, he's like, oh, Tom Petty. It's like, holy crap, man. Like you knew the song before the band knew the song. It's like, this is great. But, you know, reading those signs and getting people to the point where they're they're there takes a lot of work. And I mean, you're a front man. You know it. you got to. It, you got to be the one to deliver first and then Absolutely. people are comfortable to join you in that, but they're not just going to do it. They're not going to feel comfortable doing that. If you're but not pouring, you're absolutely out. right. Well, yeah. that's the deal is like, this is where this is one of the levels of growth that all the bands go through is like, if you're that shoegazing, just happy to have a gig, yeah. you know, dance, dance to this, you know, guns and roses, you know, that everybody plays, you know, hard, 
But the first level of performance professionalism is, are you committed? Are you inhabiting the song that you're, that you're playing? Are you really there? Yeah. Are you present? And this is, you know, you learn this, that this is what makes special performers special. Like they, they are embodying the song, telling the story, feeling the emotions. And that, that is undeniable truth. You know, that is, yep. that is, that is the basic thing that you should aspire to. And whether they're it's not lost in that, like that's the difference between I think an amateur and a pro, right, is is you get that where you're you're communicating the song, you're in it, there's that truth. But if that's the only place your head is at that moment, you're n- it's not going to work for the whole gig. You know, you can't just be that. You've well, got you have to be, be present for the audience as well. I mean, yeah, there's exactly. two things. You've got to do you both know? things and you have to be yeah. aware of like, where are we flowing is, you know, between these two songs, is this the right time for me to say something to them? Is this the right time for me to give them 30 seconds without us doing anything? Or is this the right time to, you know, immediately segue to the next tune, you know, yep. and feeling that stuff out has to be happening in parallel to the whole, like I am in it and performing this song. And really, you know, like for me, I'll take a minute, like when I know that, that, um, that Mike's about to take a solo or, you know, Aaron's going to take a solo or whatever, even if it's a tune I'm singing, I know that I've got about 10 seconds where the attention is going to shift to that. And I wait until I see it like, okay, I've been singing the tune. Now attention's on Mike. Now I can, I have a very short window. I still need to play, still need to be listening to Mike, still need to react to that, but I can glance at the set list and fill my brain with, you know, the, the five songs that are the option for the next thing, you know, or just do we follow the set list and, and go to that. And, and it, it like, it takes a lot to, to just keep doing that sure. all night on stage. And I know you do the, exactly the same thing. It's, you know, it's just, you, you want to, you got to resist the temptation to disappear entirely into what you're doing because yes. you are still, at least as the front person, you are still accountable to the audience and you want to be responsive to the audience. That doesn't mean you want to, like you said, take always take the easy path or do that, you know, whatever that might take. But um, th- that is the role of of the front person is, you it, know, yeah. and the, the, the on stage manager, you know, the audience. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I will tell you this. You mentioned Tom Petty. So no, you probably mentioned my, Tom Petty. Oh, we both mentioned Tom Petty. We both right. mentioned him. <laughs> so uh, maybe my moment of the weekend was, uh, you know, we're in we're playing a song. And a very nice lady comes to the front of the stage and she clearly wants to say something to me. And I'm always like, really? I'm, you know, <laughs> it's hard to like have a lean over and hear. Most of the time I can't even hear them, but um, right. she wanted to tell me. She goes, Tom Petty, American Girl. I said, we'll try, right? Because we're about two thirds of the way through the show now, right? Sure. She she throws $50 at me. $50, you get paid, baby. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's right. So, so anyway, we, it, it, we were in the middle of kind of a medley-ish type thing. About four songs later, we go, I call American Girl. The guys were right there. We jump into it. She and her husband lose their freaking mind. Like amongst the sea of people, I can see this this couple is hyper excited about this. They get out there. They are rocking like crazy. I mean, they're just so into it to the point where they got everybody else into it. I mean, they, I mean, it's a great song and, and people get into it anyway, but this was above and beyond. We play it. We kill it. She comes on stage teary-eyed gives me a big hug, which I didn't mind in this case. The husband comes in the front of the stage, shakes my hand, and is just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, looking at the whole band. It was, you know. Oh, that's a nice moment, man. man. Yeah, that was, that was pretty special. That's good. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. It, yeah. It's cool when things like that can can just happen. Yeah. For sure. So I have a quick tip to share and then a, a story about a show I saw last night. So my quick tip is, you know, I, I, I spend, as you all know, uh, a good portion of my playing life in the theater world and then a, obviously a good portion on, in, on rock and roll stages. And it was very nice to get back to rock and roll stages for the last few weeks because I, uh, you know, with doing Tommy and traveling and stuff, I, I had not done that. So it was really nice to get back to it. And one thing I caught myself doing is, you know, we had these gigs where start time was very important. Right. You know, we, we had to start at the right time in order for the flow of the evening around us to continue to work and and be successful. And one thing that happens in theater is backstage, the stage manager is sort of constantly pacing um, in the hour leading up to the to the show. There's a lot of stuff that needs to be done. People need to get in a costume. People need to get into makeup. You know, the, the house will close at a certain time. So if you need to preset something on stage, you know, you got to do that before the house opens. And so what will happen is about every it's usually about every 10 minutes until the 30 minute uh, mark. And then every five minutes after that uh, is there will be someone walking around, usually the stage manager calling. All right. Look, you know, uh, uh, 15 to 15 to curtain or whatever, you know, 15 to places is, is usually what they call. And, and, and everybody responds, yep, thanks, 15. And, and then thanks, 10. And, you know, thanks, five. And then it's places and it's like time to go. And having that countdown happening is a very comforting thing because, you know, I'm never going to get blindsided by, oh, my God, like we got to play right now. I mean, it still happens sometimes, but, you know, there's this thing that's just it's the it's part of the conversation. And without even thinking about it, I, I, I noticed myself doing this at the last two fling gigs as we're in the setup process. So we're just going through. I look at my watch. It's like, all right, look, guys, 45 minutes to downbeat. OK, great. And, and everybody's just like, yeah, OK, fine. And then 30 minutes to downbeat. All right, look, 20 minutes, 15. All right, we're 10 minutes to downbeat. And everybody like it all just comes together. And no one we walked on stage. Nobody was stressed. Everything was, you know, where it needed to be at the time. And it really kind of helped just keep that process together. So I, I, it's something I'm definitely going to adopt for the, you know, for future gigs. Cause it's just, it's really nice to have it for myself, but it seems like it really kind of helped tie everything together for that mood. So, so there's a tip that you, you can, you know, consider adopting in, in your bands out there, folks. Cause Good it's stuff. Yeah, it's helpful. Um, last night. I went and saw Brad Paisley with uh, with my wife and daughter. And uh, anybody that's listened to this show since the beginning will know that uh, we talked about this three years ago when I went and saw him. Uh, same venue and the same thing. We we wound up getting pit tickets, so we were right up front. Um, and we did that. And we had a great time uh, three years ago. And, and so we did the same thing for last night. And uh, it was really interesting watching this show happen. There were There were two openers, three bands total. Uh, Kane Brown was the, you know, second head, not second headliner, but he was, you know, he played second. Um, and then Dan Tominsky and his band played first. Dan is, uh, generally not known as a, a front man in the country world, but he has been, uh, in Allison Krauss's union station for, I think 26 years or something like very well respected throughout the world. Mm -hmm. And he was part of the, um, the, in, uh, Oh, Oh brother, where art thou movie? They, they, it was all about that one song and the soggy bottom boys were the band in that movie. And yeah, he, I know it. yep. He was the soggy bottom boys, right? Him and him and two other guys. And he sang that song. 
Um, and Brad actually brought him out during Brad's set and, and they did that song together, which was interesting because, you know, I watched these other two guys and, and Dan Tominski and his band opened up the show and, and, and they did an okay job. Dan, it was really interesting because he's clearly way more comfortable and way more entertaining as a sideman than he is as a front man. He, he was sort of dry, good. You know, his, his, his performance was great. Vocals were, you know, in tune a hundred percent of the time, but there was nothing quite special about his performance. But when he came back on, uh, later, you know, in the, in the night, he actually sat in with both Kane Brown and with Brad Paisley. It was like a whole different guy he was like mm. relaxed and joke he was like oh okay well 26 years as a side man i get why <laughs> why that's more comfortable than you know two years as a front man you know and he'll get there if he wants to you know it'll be it's fine but um seeing that happen kane brown came out with and kane brown's a great performer younger country guy uh really um really kind of owns the stage in a very laid-back comfortable way very uh, very impressive. But Brad came out and I knew this from, from seeing him three years ago that with him, it's, it's, they're putting on a show and it's a very scripted show. Um, and, and I think three years ago, I mentioned how impressed I was watching, you know, he changes guitars every song, right? But he won't mm -hmm. wait to change his guitar. They'll actually segue from one song to the next. He'll sing the first verse on the old guitar and then his tech comes out and he swaps guitars. Actually, he doesn't usually sing the whole first verse. He's like swaps guitars while he's singing the verse. And, uh, and, and then by the time it's time for him to take a solo or whatever, he's on whatever guitar he wants for that song. And he gets his tone and, and, and he's a stellar guitar player. I mean, just fantastic guitar player and great tone out of all of his stuff. And it's you know, it's really nice being, being up close. Cause you can hear his sound right out of his amps, which is great. Um, but it, you know, three years ago, that was impressive from a, a, uh, and it's still even last night, impressive from just a performance and theatrics level. It was like, okay, the show is just going on. The show's going on. But it, I realized last night that it, it actually made him, it makes him a little stale. Um, and I didn't notice it last time, but, but I, I have, I, I, in thinking back on it, it was definitely the same thing. But when he brought Kane Brown and especially when he brought Dan Tominski out to, you know, to do that tune, there was an engagement level that increased exponentially in those moments that just went away when, um, when it was just Brad kind of, you know, being his own front man kind of thing where it, with him, it was like, yep, we're on stage, we're doing a thing. And it's, this is how it goes. And I guess I'm going to say some things here and I'm going to sing my songs, but it all felt very perfunctory. Whereas mm. like these other guys really delivered. It was really interesting. And Brad had kind of a temper tantrum on stage last night too. He, you know, he got one of his guitars. I mean, he, you know, if he played 25 songs, he switched guitars 19 times. Like it, right. it was, it, it, it's sort of ridiculous. In fact, there was a guy behind us in the pit that every time the guitar changed, he would scream at the top of his lungs like, whoo! new guitar and it actually started like brad started noticing and and wasn't laughing about it which, which is the thing it was like dude you know you're changing guitars all the time you probably should you know laugh about this because it's sort of funny like most people in the audience could care less 
whether you're playing everything on a telly or a strat, like it, you know, like it's, it's not going to make a difference to 95% of the people here and maybe more, you know? So, but he didn't, he didn't actually like that all that much, but um, early in the show, the guy put his guitar on him and Brad's playing and you can hear the guitar. It's fine. Like the sounds great. The strap was twisted and like, it was fine. Like, it, 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 but he couldn't like he lost it. He skipped a chorus of the tune. Like the, the band went to the chorus, the track they were playing to went to the chorus and, and Brad, like it, like you could tell he, he just skipped it cause he wanted the song to end so he could swap guitars. Um, and, and the, it was interesting watching the, the, the drummer, the bass player and the, the keyboard player. There's two other guys. There was a fiddle player and another guitar player on stage too. But as soon as he made that jump, the, the, the bass players, the band that clearly the music director, uh, but the keyboard player was the one controlling, you know, cueing the tracks and all that. Cause he sort of had that, you know, the ability to do that at his station. Right. And, and so there was this instant like communication amongst those three guys, like, okay, yep. Rip cord. Let's go. You know, here we are. And, and it was fine. I mean, they were total pros, but, um, but yeah. And, and it was like, dude, nobody cares that your, your straps twisted. It's okay. You can hear your guitar. It's not going to be on your body for more than, you know, another four minutes, yeah. four minutes at most, you, right. you know, like just freaking for a guy that clearly communicates this whole concept of the show must go on. <laughs> um, that sort of felt insincere to me. Like it was like, now we see who you really are, you know, it was like, man. And he was pissed at his guitar tech who like, it, it like clearly this is just how he is. There was one moment where uh, it was obvious. One of the other roadies was going to deliver him his next guitar and he was getting coaching from the, you know, the longtime guitar tech that was there. And this guy couldn't possibly have been more nervous. I mean, oh like he was and he was standing or kneeling right next to us for, for a good long time. Like they had sent him on stage too early because, you know, Brad changed the flow of things or I don't know, whatever. He was just out there too early. And so he was standing there a long time and like really sweating, like watching every motion of Brad's to know when it was time to like leap up and help him swap guitars. And it's like, yeah, like I get the feeling he's not a very um, uh, tolerant guy to work for. It was it was a lot like watching Steve Jobs on stage. You know, it was like like when everybody's when he had, tense, everybody's every, everybody's on it prepared for the worst. Yeah, yeah, like like that whole thing with the with him. You know, like messing with his strap and the 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 wireless pack was on the strap, and he just like it it distracted him so much that it reminded me of the moment when Steve Jobs threw the camera that where the batteries were dead. Uh, and, yeah, uh, you know, at the at the Apple the poor Apple employee in the in the crowd or whoever it was he threw it at. It, it was so I'll always share thing. this for you. Yeah. Like, like whenever I think about stories like this, yeah. Um, I am not a Kanye West fan. I'm not a, a fan of his, of his personality. I'm not a fan of his music. I'm not a Kanye West fan. Yeah. I have a friend who, who worked with Kanye West on, on a project and he's one of my friend is one of those people who he wasn't invested fandom wise. Sure. He simply observed that in Kanye, there was a level of perfectionism and that you don't get Kanye if you don't get that level of perfectionism. And that's what it is. And we all know people like that. I mean, jobs was the easiest one to know. Sure. You don't get what you get. Right. So, you know, and I don't think you really can say, and, and I'm not defending Paisley because no. no one should be a, a dick anytime, but, but, um, <laughs> 
But I mean, I, I think that there is that type of personality that's, you know, there is a certain type of brain chemistry that sweats details like that. And it is their whole personality. You often get great results out of a person like that. It's no fun to be around a person like that. Um, and you get to choose how great your tolerance is to live with something like that. And as you know, many of our friends at Apple and, you know, yeah. evidently many friends around Kanye, you know, do. But that's the deal. So, you know, I, I, no, uh, I like deal. I like Paisley's playing, you know, very much. He's a great guitar player. I don't you know, know anything about him, how he runs his band, how he runs his business or anything like that. Sure. Uh, you know, maybe you had a bad slice of pizza that night. I don't know, but uh, no, it, it's this is it, it, the weird part is how it's sort of communicated to the audience. Right? Well, that that is the thing. You're accountable for that, right? Yeah, that's 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 your deal. And it it was very palpable that everybody was more engaged by these other two guys than they were by this theater mm. production that Brad Paisley Enterprises was putting on. Uh, you know, as well last night, and again. I, I don't mean to say that I didn't like the show because I certainly did. It was very, you know, the 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 sum of the production was massively entertaining. The you know the the songs he writes are fantastic. It, you know, like they're tongue in cheek at the right times and all this stuff. But it the delivery felt, like I said, very perfunctory, very much like here we are and this is what we're going to do. And we're putting on this show in this town tonight. And last night we put it on in that town and tomorrow night we're going to put it on in a different town. And when we're done, we collect our check and we go home and and it's just a job. But it really did feel like it, now part of his job is saying you guys have a great venue here and we love coming here and all of that. But that's fine. But it very much was like, this is your job. And, and we're going to do it. And the band reacted the same way. There was no like it didn't it, they didn't communicate camaraderie. Uh, and I get the feeling that if they interacted too much, that that was not desired. It was like you show up on stage. Yep. You can come to work in a T-shirt. In fact, T-shirt, jeans and boots is probably best uh, for this particular job. But you got to get on stage and play your, and do your job. You know, and and that's what you're here to do for the 97 minutes that we're going to do this. And then after that, you know, get out of my way and and like, you know, we get out of each other's way and and there you go. Um, yep. Yeah. So it was just it was interesting, especially, you know, when when he brought up like Tominsky and 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 Kane Brown. It's like, oh, right. This is how someone engages a crowd. Got it. And, and, and with Brad, it was like, you know, just here it is. And here's a show and you can enjoy the show. And it's a very enjoyable show. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously very successful for him. Like, you know, (laughs) yeah. Just interesting to note, you know, again, I analyze everything from the performer's point of view because it's like, what can I learn from this that I can take with my craft, you know, and, and do that stuff. And, and that's where this comes from. Like I said, we had fun at the show and it was, uh, and if he came back around, I'd probably go again. I, you know, I don't know, but, um, you know, there you go. So that's what I got for today. You got anything else, man? No, we covered a lot of ground. Good we stuff. did. Yeah, yeah, very much so. All right, folks. Well, you know where to find us, right? It's giggabpodcast.com. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com. Let us know what you think. If you have any questions about the show, tips to share, anything, just let us know. And what's the one rule we all must follow? Always be performing, but leave the attitude at home. I like it.